Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel and The Shark. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Vander Blue former shooting guard for Marquette subscribes, so you should as well. Typically, I have a little nugget, a little anecdote about these players. I got nothing on Vanderbilt, except he's got a fantastic name. Uh, but check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. We're sponsored by Blue Note, artfully crafted small batch bourbon, distilled in Memphis and honoring the Memphis Blues. Be noteworthy, Memphis. So I got my tree. Uh, we got my Christmas tree ready, and it's a little little Charlie Brown type tree. It's decorated. It's ready to go. How about you guys? You guys set a, set up your tree yet? Decorated? I've had my tree up for like two weeks now. Made the decision. No tree because we're leaving a week before the holidays. So we aren't even going to put it up just to take it down before we leave because we're not coming back to the after the new year. So the tree's up for. Nobody at that point. Maybe, maybe like some garland or something. Yeah, yeah. We we did we did some of that. We did some of that. We took care of that yesterday during uh, okay. Sunday. Um, 
but yeah, you know, we're not completely atheists over here, but didn't want to. And plus, we got one of these trees. It's a fake tree, so it comes in that long box, which means I'm going into the box every year, then I'm stuffing it in the closet. I'm just avoiding that whole thing. Uh, I I can't really avoid the whole thing because I grew up in North Pole, Alaska, so I would probably be disowned by my entire town if I didn't do some type of uh, Christmas like spread some Christmas like cheer when given the opportunity. So it's almost like a, a necessity. I can't get away from it. Yeah. Let me ask you that actually, Taylor, what's like the non-Christian population in North pole, Alaska? Like if I were to, if the Subramanians were to have grown up in North pole, Alaska, would I just be a recluse? Like, uh, you might be able to find like a handful of Hindu people in Fairbanks, but North pole things are pretty, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Snow white out there, I guess, baby. Uh, we got some Mormons that are stuck in there. Uh, not a lot of Jews. Not a lot of Jews. Uh, the only brown people we got are Native Alaskans, for the most part. So, well, What about all those kind of just, to steal Subi's word and pronounce it differently, kind of a tournament, tournament type thing, but rec- recluses up there, like uh, Liam Neeson from The Grey, where he just gets up there and hunts wolves. I feel like those guys probably aren't too deep into religion and celebrating holidays. Oh, yeah. No, they're... They're out in their cabins, like by themselves. Yeah, honestly, Hunting. yeah. I know I intentionally brought that up by myself, but probably one of the best movies of this century. <laughs> what was it called again? The, the Gray. Wolf? Oh, the Gray. The gray. Yeah. Once I never. More into the fr- you haven't seen that, dude? You're from Alaska. You haven't seen The Gray with Liam? I lived it. All right. You know <laughs> who is that? Who is that oh kicker? Couple, who is that? Who is that kicker? A couple <laughs> years ago. Yeah, yeah, he's like, I don't play video games. This is real life, bro. Yeah. I don't laugh or whatever that was. Yeah, right. Like, Dude. I don't need to watch movies about Alaska. Like, I live that shit, okay? Yeah, but it's not just about Alaska. It's about survival. <laughs> it's about acceptance. Come on, man. Give that movie a shot. It's more of me just not being a movie guy than, than, than the quality of the movie itself. So um, I'm assuming from what I know about that movie, there are a number of people in Alaska who would uh, fit that role pretty well. Well, speaking of theater, I'm I'm locked in on the Arizona Baylor game in Waco, right? In an absolute dogfight, top fifteen matchup between top twenty matchup between two very good teams. And I just get looped into a group chat, group conversation there with with the Shark and the Chief, asking about what what are some good films to watch before <laughs> before uh, award show season starts. And if you know me, you know that I do love award show season. We got the Oscars, Emmys, Globes, all that good stuff coming up, but. It's not necessarily for the film. It's more so for the outlandish public acceptance speeches and things of that nature. But I'm sitting at the bar, scrapping, clawing for any any sort of win against Scott Drew, and I'm talking knives out here. Well, let me. I'm trying to express you a courtesy here. You know, I'm trying to be nice. You and I both know that for as long as we've been around, when it comes when we get close to awards so, awards show season, which we put the Oscars at the very top. We like to do our research. So, yes, I sent you a text and I looped in the chief because he's a big theater. He's a big movie guy. He loves movies. He goes to movies by himself. He goes to these screenings, often these indie theaters in Memphis somewhere. He does all that stuff. So I sent him a text <laughs> looping you in saying, hey, chief, give me some movies to see. I got to educate myself. I got to culture myself before the award show come out. I'm sorry that we're not supposed to talk to you during your horrible, boring 12 p.m. game. That is my third option on a commercial channel while Ohio State is playing uh, Wisconsin. Actually, not it wasn't Ohio State. It was freaking Baylor, Oklahoma at the time while that's going on. And then you have a better option on Fox with 
Florida and Butler. And all of a sudden I'm supposed to be concerned about your feelings as your team's down by 16 in the first half and you got 20 points. I mean, I mean just do, do me the courtesy of leaving That's me out and then, then loop me in, loop me I'm, in afterwards. I'm not asking you out for a cup of coffee. I'm sending you a text. You can look at it later. <laughs> you know, hold on. So, I, just, I just, I just don't think that you were in the rabbit hole with me. I'm sure there's a level of seriousness to a top 25 matchup on the road. And, and I got to talk about, you know, what, what are some other movies outside of Knives Out? We're talking about, uh, isn't, isn't there like a new Star Wars or something going on too? I don't know. Can you come, come in close? I want to tell you something. All right? <laughs> I want to tell you this right now. I'm never going to be in that rabbit hole with you. All right. I have no interest in that rabbit hole. I'm not going there. Sue, at what point in the game did you receive this text? Uh, it might have been towards the end of the first half where Arizona really, really sucked. I feel like it was a perfect storm. I could just feel it from our text back and forth that you were perturbed a little more than normal. And maybe that was the straw that broke the Subramanians back on that one, was the group chat of movies in the middle of this awful game. It's a total lack of respect. I was also <laughs> also pretty drunk. I had a few craft beers, and I was sitting next to an Arizona guy. It's 11 a.m. over there. Come on. It's Saturday. Exactly. It's it's yeah. a college football, college basketball Saturday. What when are you supposed to start? Like, I what's a good time to start? The holidays. As no, well. you don't. Yeah. You don't need to be lashing out via text before, <laughs> before high noon. You know, it's like it's not even high noon, and you're already lashing out at me. Serious. I take this shit serious, dog. That's you why you don't. Serious. That's why you. You know what? We don't want you in the rabbit hole. Actually, we don't want I, you. In the, I mean, you you're not fit for this foxhole. I'm not going into that rabbit hole, but I actually got it. You know how the, we got the where am I segment that we came up with on the spot. I think we got another one right here as I'm thinking it because you told me this probably like 10 years ago when the Redskins were in their pit of misery and everything was falling apart in my sports world. And you looked at has me that, and you, Wait, has that changed? Well, no, it hasn't. It hasn't. <laughs> okay. This thing that Stevie said to me a long time ago, it still rings true. He looked at me and he said, who hurt you? So I think we can use that for any anyone right now who has an outrageous reaction or is overly sensitive or anything in the college basketball world. Just ask them, who hurt you? That could be a segment for next week. Yeah, well, I mean, it could very well be Arizona week in and week out because they've done that now for about 10 years. And we talked about who hurt you. You posed that question to me as well in 2014 when I just – had it out against George Niang and that Iowa State team. Those were your boys. And then you Watch finally came to the realization that it was Subramaniang. <laughs> wow. One of the greatest Texas of all time. Incredible you know, exchange. I love that we don't really have any uh, type of pre-production meeting. We just kind of just come up with new segments on the fly here, pretty <laughs> much. You know, <laughs> like, Hey, you know what we should do, guys? Here, let me, I got an idea. I got an idea. Let's not fur this out. Let's just dive right into it, you know? It's Pretty much as, as long as as long as they start with the with the five W's. What is it? Who, what, when, where, why? We got we got where now. Now we got who. We just <laughs> we'll keep this we'll keep this momentum rolling. But we do have a great show ahead as uh, we have good friends of the program, the Providence Crier. And actually, let me pause real quick because we did talk about the chief and his love for movies. Shameless plug. Listen to his podcast on on the Barnburner Podcast Network. It's called In the Can. Some great. Great theater talk. Uh, but the show upcoming, we got the Providence Crier and Justin Hasgard back on to discuss URI's victory over Providence College on Friday in the Ryan Center. Not looking great for the Friars as they are now 500, 10 games into the season. I don't think even the, more, the most pessimistic Friar fan would have ever thought that they would be only 500 this far into the season. And really the only thing that I can think about and that I plan on asking, especially the Crier, is – do you think there's any regret from Ed Cooley that he didn't go to Michigan over this past summer? What I'm thinking to myself is 
there's got to be a slight, slight piece of him deep down in places he doesn't talk about that's saying, fuck, maybe I should have gone to Ann Arbor. Maybe I should have hitched my wagon to Xavier Simpson as opposed to Luann Pipkins, and, and I'd be enjoying a potentially a top five, top ten team. Now, that's not to discredit what Juwan Howard's been doing, but this has just been an abysmal start for, for the Friars. Uh, I'm also going to touch uh, on the Crier Prophecy, which apparently was Final Four. That that was We murdered that like two weeks ago, uh, but it's even further in the ground now. But my thought is there's a very small piece of Cooley that is regretting not going to Michigan. Taylor, I'll start with you. Do you think he regrets that decision at all? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think that he... I don't think it's like at the forefront of his mind, but you got to sit there in the depths of night when you can't sleep and be like, what if everybody, what ifs to some degree, you know, and rarely can you, what if, Oh, what if I would have gone to like one of the top 15 jobs in the country? 20, I don't know, somewhere in that range. And now I'm sitting here at five and five. And that's the problem with college basketball especially compared to other sports even or even compared to other sports, I should say you have to strike while the iron is hot, right? You don't just always have the opportunity to move up in your field in college basketball, because rarely do the really, really big jobs in college basketball come along and open up. So betting on yourself is one thing, but even look, you know, let's take college football, for example, even Chris Peterson, who was in the news recently because he just resigned from Washington, even he at one point realized that he needed to get out of Boise State if he was ever going to reach an, a, a higher echelon, right? And it's kind of the same thing with Providence. Providence is a good basketball program. But Providence isn't going to win the national championship. They're just not. They're just not. Gonna, I mean, because look, the, the prophecy said Final Four this year, and they're 5-5. Five and five. So is could Michigan win a championship? Yeah, almost virtually in a year would they be able to attract enough talent. So it's tough to turn it down a job like that. And then even tougher or and more, I would say impossible to not think about it. If you turn down a job like that and they're having a surprise, great season ranked in the top, are they still top five, top five, top five, top five. Yeah. They're number yep. five. And uh, Providence is, I mean, they're not even going to make it as it currently stands. They're not even going to make the turn. They're not even going to sniff the tournament. Yeah, it's funny. Last week you had mentioned that if there's one team that is for sure in that might have the best resume going into the tournament, let's say if the season just miraculously ended today, it's Michigan. Despite the fact that they weren't the number one overall seed, you could make the case that Michigan is for sure in the tournament. On the flip side of that, I think out of the teams that we had expectations for, Providence is on the other end of that spectrum where you're like, they're for sure out. They they only can afford to lose maybe six more times all year. Uh, oh, otherwise less, less than that in that conference with 11, 11, 12 wins or losses, maybe as a, as a bubble team, but shark, is there any, is there any thought running through Ed Cooley's mind who, again, it's been said ad nauseum. He's a Providence guy. He actually might be your boy, former BC guy. Is there any thoughts do you think running through his mind about not taking that job in Ann Arbor? Absolutely. I mean, with, you got a, with Kenny Rogers, you got, you got to know when to hold him, know when to fold them. And in this case, <laughs> He got. He did not get out when he should have got out, because he had the upward trajectory for a long time in Providence. He reached kind of the apex there without the tournament success, and he should have known right then and there. Now is now is the time to get and go. 
Uh, and right now, as it stands, he's sitting in the Big East. And if you look at the other coaches in that conference, and I actually want you to ask this question to board when you have him on. You can bring in Scard as well. But ask him, who do you think – where does Ed Cooley stack up amongst the other coaches in the Big East? I think he's probably like number five or so at this point, if not below that. And going into the season or even last year, a lot of people would have said he's without a doubt top three head coach. But when you look at the Big East right now, obviously you're going to have Jay Wright. You're going to have Laval Jordan, who's just a star at Butler. No matter who you put in there at Butler, they're going to be good. Travis Steele seems to be great at Xavier. Um, Wojo, I'm I'm not going to – he's probably getting close there with Ed Cooley, which is kind of insulting to Cooley that he's even close to Wojo at this point. And then I feel like I'm missing – McDermott? Yeah, I'm forgetting – the greatest coach of all time, yeah, my I, boy. I was waiting. My boy, Kevin Willard, who is without a doubt better than Ed Cooley. Uh, and more on Kevin Willard later. Do I get to give a hug on this show? Can We're all giving hug? hugs. Oh, yeah. All right, yeah. More on well, that later. Don't give, it, don't give it away or anything. Yeah, but I, all in a, Cooley, it's like, damn, dude, Like you, you're the last one at this party. You should have left a while ago. You should look cool, but you're still here, dude. <laughs> get out. Yeah. Is he the? Is he like the twenty-year-old, still twenty-two-year-old, still coming to a lot of the high school basketball games? Yeah, he just missed his yeah. window. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. that's t- it's it's a it's a slippery slope because one bad season, again, if you're not at a name school, a bad season can easily affect your next recruiting classes, which could snowball into several bad years, and then all of a sudden you get fired. And I'm not saying that the first ten games of the year is the end-all, be-all of Ed Cooley's career, but we've seen this happen time and time before where a guy doesn't capitalize on his success has a bad season or two and then gets dropped off the face of the earth, never to be seen again. Uh, who's someone that comes to mind like that? Anthony Grant. Uh, ben Howland. Or, yeah. Right. Ben. Yeah. Ben well, Howland. But he was already at UCLA though. But, but yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I would even say that Anthony Grant's had himself a nice little resurrection. Yeah. Well, maybe so. And you know, it's not that Ed Cooley wouldn't get hired again somewhere because he certainly would, but it would be like, be kind of like Rich Rod coming back to his coach at Arizona. You got to start back at the bottom and then try and build yourself all the way back up. And it's really hard to build yourself up from the bottom again a second time when you're already known as someone who didn't quite meet expectations or uh, or live up to the prophecy, so to speak, at your previous location. Well, that was an absolutely absurd prophecy. We'd said that prophecy was terrible at the beginning, but. That Anthony hey. Grant comparison is just horrifying. Like someone should tell that to Ed Cooley, like, dude, you could turn into Anthony Grant here. That 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 career path, I wouldn't wish that on anyone right there. Good I mean, pull, I, good pull there, I, Taylor. I know. I was just trying to think, is that the best one off the top of my head? I could probably I, find a yeah. better example, but it might be it. Someone who just who got to a big enough school but didn't like go to the big er step of the school. No. Probably yeah, right. I mean that's good. Could you could you make the argument for for Shaka as well? It's not like he's irrelevant, but he hasn't done shit at Texas, and he's he, red hot. But he got to Texas. Sure. The point, the point yeah. would be getting to that school, and isn't, even though Texas isn't an A one basketball program, it is still a big name school. Oh, Cooley no Cooley stopped short at VCU. Essentially, it was Shaka not leaving VCU. Right. Right. And and I, would even, that, I would even say that Shaka didn't even leave at his apex. I think he had a year or two. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And they still, well, did they miss the tournament, make the tournament like the next I, two years? It wasn't the like final that. four runs like he had, like he had been to, but yeah, I mean, he, you're right. He did. He did make it to Texas, but you know, even shot in Shaka's case, he might've been able to get 
an even higher tier job than than Texas. But yeah, Ed Cooley, if if you remember, over the summer essentially spurned Michigan uh, and and said he wanted to stay in Providence. He's got to have some second thoughts. Speaking of Michigan, they hosted Iowa after losing to Louisville. We said this was going to be a big game for the Wolverines because Iowa is a good team, and you're coming off of that loss. But the 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 big story from this game was Luca Garza. Now we have Anthony Davis, who's the brow, and I've already given Obi Toppin a, a nickname, so I'm going to give Luca Garza a nickname, and it's not that creative. We can continue to workshop, but I'm going to call him the eyebrows. Anthony Davis is the brow. I'm calling Luca the eyebrows because he's just got two caterpillars, but the boy can play. He dropped 44 against Michigan on the road. Not enough as they did end up losing. Shark, that's your boy. That's 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 your previous place of employment, Garza. Tell me about Luca Garza. Um. All I know is really all I can tell about it when they played Tennessee last year in the tournament, I was never more terrified of someone touching the ball than Luca Garza. He's one of those guys you can dump it to him on the post and automatic. He's going to get two or get fouled every single time. It's just a matter of if his body's going to fall apart, if he gets in foul trouble during the game, or if he just, you know, somehow doesn't get a lot of and ones. You got to, you can only contain them. I think he got 44 on Friday night. The guy was uh, all over the place. He's definitely has a, NBA future. And I think until you face him, your team faces him, you don't really recognize how much of a talent he is, especially offensively. And his dad's one of those dads that they always show on TV during the game as well. So you got that going. Uh, Can I tell you what Luca Garza's childhood nickname was? Please. Pudge. Like in reference to Rodriguez? Rodriguez? No, it's because I guess he was like a fat kid. I mean, ruined, that's, ruined from an, that's not that's not my words. These are article from a, a literal USA Today article. His nickname was Pudge. He definitely um, looks like a former fat kid. <laughs> so uh, in my estimation, and tell me if I'm wrong, and this might be my only beef with the um, with the AP poll this week, because I actually thought the AP poll was pr- pretty decent. Iowa didn't even receive votes. That's so crazy. is Iowa. Let, right. Let me find in page. Yeah. No, Iowa. Is Iowa the most underrated team by a mile in the country right now? They might be. I, I mean, I would not want to face those guys in a tournament just because of how they can score. I, I know Michigan kind of ran them out on Friday night, but they I mean, still, they still, they only, they only want, lost by twelve. Here, well, they're lost. No, right no, here. They, they were getting killed for the entire. Sure, game. sure, yeah. sure. So they're they have wins over Syracuse, albeit Syracuse isn't awesome. They beat Texas Tech. Good win. Their only losses of on the year are to undefeated DePaul, undefeated San Diego State, and one loss Michigan. I was and, then, and this team doesn't get one vote, and we got a team that like loses to Evansville in the top ten. But Iowa can't even get a vote, and they their three losses are to teams with a combined one loss on the year. Yeah, I, I think I think Iowa could be the most underrated team, and I guess it just def- depends on how you how you want to define underrated. Like, is it? Anyone who's getting national attention, uh, who's, who, who isn't getting national attention, I should say. I could also make the case potentially for Maryland. Uh, I, as a top three team, they're not getting as much pub as even some of their Big Ten counterparts, uh, including Iowa. But Iowa seems like a team that, come conference tournament time, could just go on a run and win the the conference title and propel themselves from, let's say, like a, a six seed to like a four or three seed after going on an incredible Big Ten title run. That's the type of see, yeah, well, team I see with the Hawkeyes. They are that type of team. Their problem is they just don't play any defense. I mean, they have, 
We're we're talking like it's just Luca Garza on the team. They still have Fran McCaffrey's kid. He's on that team. They got another one of those shooters. They got to they got to shoot. Everyone's a shooter on that team, uh, but they can't defend anyone. That that's the issue with them. So they can definitely you know catch lightning in a bottle. It's just a matter of are they going to be able to hold up uh, in a in a you know forty minutes against Ohio State and Michigan State and Wisconsin like that. So so take like let's look at another Big Ten school and just compare them. Okay, so my boy the pain my boys the pain squad. Purdue. Obviously, monster win over Virginia this week, right? But they also have two probably worse losses than Iowa does, and Purdue, and they have the same exact record. Purdue is essentially sitting at 27th, and Iowa can't get a vote. And like another underrated team right now is DePaul, undefeated DePaul, right in your backyard, Subi. Only one vote in this week's well, they top lost. 25. DePaul lost last night. Oh, they did, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, you're right. Excuse me. Excuse me. That's true. My bad. I'll take that one. That's on me. That's on me. That's I do feel me. like some of the vote, the, the voters, though, for especially basketball, when they don't like a head coach, they probably take it out on that team. I feel like you're you're very polarized with Fran McCaffrey. You either love him or you hate him. I think I love Fran McCaffrey because of how ridiculous he can be on the sidelines and impressors, but I know that he doesn't have the most glowing reputation because honestly, he can be a very surly, miserable fuck at doesn't, times. Like we yeah. have a friend in our group who is such a miserable fuck. That is that is ever I feel like every friend group has that. It's just so miserable. That is uh Fran McCaffrey in the coaching world. Fran McCaffrey is like the the picture perfect representation of just like a crazy angry irish catholic fuck that just hates his life and everything about it that's fran mccaffrey he'd, be, he'd play like a perfect if you got a movie from the uh, taking place in ireland or something like some angry priest that's abusive of you know the good guy in the movie that's fran mccaffrey just play, uh, the guy in gangs in new york he'd be like the guy in the the, the guy with the Bill the, the Butcher? No, not Bill the Butcher. The guy that runs for mayor that gets killed by Bill the Butcher. Oh, he's uh just some Irish guy that can beat people up all the time. That's Fran McCaffrey. Oh, is he the is he the barber? Yeah, the barber. Yeah. Would would you say that uh Fran McCaffrey is the Kirk Ferentz of college basketball? No, Kirk in terms Ferentz, of results. It's too boring. Yeah. No, are we no, doing no, like hey, results or no, from, from like from like results, excuse me. From no, like uh hey. Fran McCaffrey's either going to light you up or he's going to get blown out. Kirk Ferentz is going to get the same thing every single game. He's going to win six or seven games. Fran McCaffrey, and plus he's a hot, he's a lunatic on the court. Ferentz is just standing still. Yeah, but wouldn't you say that like Iowa has the same ceiling and same floor in both basketball and football like every no, single year? No chance. Iowa could go to the Elite Eight this year. Yeah. Didn't yeah, Iowa, Iowa just go to the the college football playoff like two years ago? Or Right, no, they're in the conversation. There. I think no, they won't. Well, they went to the Big Ten title game, got blown out by Michigan State. Yeah, right. But isn't that akin to the Elite Eight? Give no, or take. they they play on the easy side of the Big Ten, so they could technically still, go every it's year. Still, the championship game, though. I'm saying well, that they, they got to be the most like even basketball and football team or programs in the country, right? I don't know. I got to agree with oh. Shark here. I don't. I think their basketball team is far more volatile, actually. Maybe I mean this year they're they're good. But they they've stunk some years as well, and yeah, in terms of personality, actually, you you could be hard pressed to find a football coach and a basketball coach at the same school with complete opposite, more opposite right. personality. I, I'm saying I'm saying the I'm saying that the performance of the programs, not yeah. the personality of those in the lead of the, of the programs. So, quick trivia question for you: I'm going to say to Taylor because uh, this is the answer to this is a player f- from Arizona. But do you know who the last person to have at least 40 against Michigan was? 
Uh, Shark, you can you can try answering this as well if you know it, but I it, stopped paying attention as soon as you uh, directed the question to him. Khalid Reeves. Bingo! Wow. Boom. That's a let's hell of, go. Did you just pull that out of your ass, or was there some sort of uh, thought process to that? Well, I knew we probably hadn't played Michigan since the early '90s. Was probably my only thought, and he was probably our most prolific Arizona's most prolific scorer of the early '90s. That's incredible. Great, <laughs> great. Great guess. It was Khalid Reeves. Uh, all right. Well, excuse, excuse me. We did play Michigan when we had like Rondé Hollis, Jefferson, Aaron Gore, and those guys. But I know no, yeah. no one on that team scored close 40. to 40 points. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to North Carolina. They're struggling right now. Lost three out of four, albeit to the top uh, three of the top five teams. They've lost to Michigan. They've lost to Ohio State. And they have also lost to University of Virginia. They haven't looked good in any of those games, but especially Ohio State at home, I think was like the worst loss, the second worst loss in the Deem Dome ever. Uh, they got completely waxed by the Buckeyes, and then they go to Charlottesville and throw up another stinker. I said this last week, I don't think North Carolina is is very good at all. They have a incredible player in Cole Anthony who can explode on you, but as a team, it just it kind of reminds me a little bit of that Trey Young Oklahoma team. Like Trey Young was amazing. And you see what he's doing now in the NBA, but they ended up losing in the first round of Rhode Island in overtime. And they started out hot, and then they had a terrible stretch of games. That's just kind of the vibe I get from this North Carolina team because it is easy to say that they've lost to very good teams in Michigan, Ohio State, and UVA, but they haven't looked particularly good in any of those three. Taylor, do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I would agree. I It was the largest home loss uh, since 2002 and the largest home loss uh, for – uh, Uncle Roy there uh, as a North Carolina coach. Um, it's weird. The weird part of that about this team is not necessarily that their performances are bad. It's how bad their offense is. Their offense is atrocious. And it's one thing, North Carolina, as we've always known, we've had the discussion many times before, that generally schools are what they are. No matter what, who comes in, who comes out, whatever. North Carolina has always been a fast-paced, run-and-gun, get-up-and-down-the-court type of team. They didn't even score 50 points in either of their last two games. And I would I would really – that's a good trivia question, actually, is when was the last time North Carolina went two straight games without breaking the 50-point marker? Now, against Virginia, we understand that that's just how it goes against Virginia, and it's not even necessarily a skill thing. It's more of a pace of play. It's hard to score more points in such a short – you know, a few amount of opportunities. But they got – I think the bigger indication is how big, how, how badly they got smoked by Ohio State. I mean, that was just a full-on dominant second half by Ohio State. Something that we had talked about last week is Ohio State maybe having a um, a real shot at being the number one team in the country, and that really put the exclamation point on that thought for me. Was not that North Carolina is so good, but I mean, just the dominant faction or dominant uh, way that Ohio State won that game. I'm not sure it's going to get. Well, it'll get better for North Carolina. Their only real tough game coming up for the next, holy hell, month and a half is Gonzaga. And that's uh, on the 18th of December. But they run off a stretch of, ooh, Wofford, actually. That's, they're sneaky. But UCLA, Yale, Georgia Tech, Pitt, Clemson, Pitt, Virginia Tech, Miami, North Carolina State, BC, until they get another ranked team, not until February 3rd at at Florida State. So if there's a time 
to write the ship. Now's it. If they don't go, I don't know how many games that was. Let's call that 10 games. If they don't go like nine and one in that stretch, then I think there's a monster problem. Eight and two. If they go anything less than that, then they really do have some problems that probably aren't just going to be fixed in the last month and a half of the season. Well, it's interesting to see the rivals now kind of going in opposite directions. You see Duke surging after that win over Michigan State. Now Carolina kind of having the bottom fall out in this early part of the season. Shark, is there any reason for concern in Chapel Hill in your eyes? Yes, definitely. I, I think the uh, Trey Young comparison is a very good one. I was also watching that game. You got first of all, you guys are right. You picked Ohio State. I picked North Carolina. I was wrong. Good pick. Happy for you. For you. Good. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Cole Anthony of Ben Simmons when he was on LSU too, where he's just he. There's it seems like there's no desire to make anyone else on the court better. It's just all about making himself look great. Uh, and this is way too premature to be calling this out on Cole Anthony right now. But the rest of that team looks terrible on North Carolina. Just guys that I can't fathom how Roy Williams ever would have offered them a scholarship. And that makes me wonder, well, he probably offered them a scholarship for a reason. So why did they look so bad? And why they look so bad is probably because Cole Anthony uh, is not doing his job to facilitate, get everyone else involved. And that's why they're struggling so much. So that's where you get the Trey Young. And that's obviously the Ben Simmons LSU team. They didn't even make the tournament. So we could definitely see that happening here with North Carolina. I think with respect to their schedule, you know, they'll turn out wins. But, you know, when I look at Taylor, you look at uh, you're talking about the ACC standings right now. You got three juggernauts that are all two and oh already in the ACC. Uh, you got Louisville, who obviously is number one in the nation. You got UVA, who just beat North Carolina. And then you have Boston College, who's also two and oh at the top of the ACC. So that's going <laughs> to be a tough one for North Carolina as well. Yeah, didn't even talk about Florida State or or Duke there either. Just those those three juggernauts. I love that you're able to put the, put them in with a straight face. The the five and five BC Golden Eagles. Uh, just ACC. Just oh, are they just Eagles? Yeah, just Sorry. Yeah. Whatever. Say Marquette. We're not flashy, you know. Just, what a, just <laughs> the Eagles with the gold helmets. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Excuse so me. yeah, I I think old, old Roy needs to do. Uh, do some coaching here in this next month and a half for them to have any sort of confidence as they enter and progress through ACC play. Another game we had referenced at the top of this program, Arizona loses at Baylor. And I was a little perturbed, Taylor, yes. But this is why I'm not exactly sold on them yet. And I told Shark before I start two-stepping, they're going to need to beat Baylor on the road. They're going to need to beat Gonzaga at home. If they beat Gonzaga at home, I'll still be pretty happy. I mean, you can't can't be unhappy with a top six win at, at home. But that game against Baylor, they, they didn't look prepared for the first three quarters of the game. And then they decided to turn it on towards the end and make it a competitive scoreline. But – in a, in a first in their first true road test uh, against the top 25 team they didn't look particularly good for three quarters of the game and I can actually attribute some of that to maybe illness Nico was was out with or out earlier this week with a bad back Josh Green apparently was hanging out with Sam Darnold and had mono or some shit strap uh, he had strap, strap whatever yeah. he was doing he was doing something uh, but Arizona losing at Baylor. I wanted to I wanted to jump on the bandwagon so bad. I think it's just going to take a little bit more time now. I think I need to add an additional benchmark, maybe beating Oregon, beating Washington, in addition to Gonzaga, and then I'll be back. But as it stands right now, 
I don't think I've moved in either direction on Arizona. Did this game tell you anything about either team, Arizona or Baylor? Uh, no. You know, I think that what it told me more is that every single team in college basketball, especially West Coast teams, this is more of a West Coast uh, situation than it is an East Coast. There's always a game every year that every West Coast school has to travel like a thousand miles and then play like the earliest game of the day. And then they don't wake up for the first 10 minutes. And I don't have actual facts to back that up other than my eyes tell me this every single year. We always turn on that early game and go, oh, wow, we can tell who the road game is, road team is here because they didn't wake up until about 10 minutes into the game. And that happens all year, every year, that first game on CBS or ESPN every morning. There's one team that isn't awake yet. And I'm not saying that's an excuse. I'm just saying that if that's your first true road test of the year, I don't necessarily attribute that to being ill-prepared or anything or just not good. You know, I, I think it's more of an anomaly than anything else. Arizona came in as the sixth best shooting team in the country and eighth best three-point shooting team in the country and shot 27% from the field and two of 18 from three. Are we going to use one game to say that's indicative of their entire season? I would say no. I would say it's more of just a true road game situation. It didn't really sh- it didn't really tell me that much about Baylor though either, because Baylor yeah they didn't look that good either. Baylor should if given the other team was on the road and struggling like that, Baylor should have smoked Arizona, and they shot an almost as bad thirty percent from the field. So literally, like two more shots went in, and they won by five. It's. I think the only other thing that I would be upset about as an Arizona fan is this team is not an overly tough team. It's they're a little soft and it's not that the freshmen are soft because I don't blame like someone like Christian Coloco playing his first 11 minutes on the road and only like the fifth game has appeared in this year. I don't blame him for not playing all that well. And he didn't play all that badly really. Who I do blame is someone like fifth year senior Chase Jeter who is the softest seven-footer in the history of college basketball. I've never seen a more hesitant big man around the rim than Chase Jeter. He just sits there with the ball, doesn't dunk it. And if, if he takes the ball, that he, get, he gets the ball, receives it above his head, and if he takes it below his fucking knees one more time in the post, when he should just go up and lay it in or dunk it, I'm going to throw my TV out the window. Because there's nothing more frustrating than watching this big oaf soft motherfucker down low dropping the ball to his knees every goddamn time he gets it down low yeah i had a rant last week i don't know if it holds a candle to what you just gave us uh, just now and big man is a general term i want to specify that chase jeter seven feet he was very frustrating this this past game and again chase jeter has a game in the books where he didn't record one single rebound as a seven footer chase is going to be integral and i feel like this was buyer beware for for arizona and and maybe having a little remorse after you know you say oh he was good enough for Duke, and I think the the best thing he ever did at Duke was that little water bottle flip and that was all the rage during during Midnight Madness. Uh, I think also the most embarrassing part of that game in Waco was we got sweaty Sean back. I think we're like zero and three when he sweats like an absolute wildebeest. The everyone knows the viral image of him against Wichita State in that tournament game. He was I mean he was nipple sweating. He was <laughs> underbelly sweat. He was belly button sweating. Everything was was just a sweatshop right there. So let me get Shark's thoughts here, but I want to lead into something because this is going to be about his boy. Subi, you were at a bar, thank God, 
ESPN put together what, in my estimation, was the worst college ball, college basketball broadcast I've ever been a part of in my whole life. Uh, there were audio issues. The score line didn't work. Uh, they switched off the game with 90 seconds left in a one possession game to like the next game on the schedule. Which it was, was BC. A, yeah, right. The juggernaut. Goddamn shark. BC. And, Big road win. And Jimmy Dykes was the angriest I've ever heard and creepiest I've ever heard a single college basketball announcer. I mean, the whole time. And you could go if actually there's some great Jimmy Dykes uh, tweets out there right now. Anytime anyone made a mistake, he was just like, no. Nope. Bench him. Nah, he dropped Nico Mannion from like a top five pick to like a borderline first round pick in one game. He pretty much was straight up yelling at the uh, Baylor guard. He would take a shot and he'd be like, oh, God, just. And it's like, what the who hurt Jimmy Dykes, Shark? So nobody hurt Jimmy Dykes. If anything, you guys need some more Jimmy Dykes in your life. I've had a long relationship with Jimmy as he calls. Once the SEC season gets going, he calls SEC games all the times. And uh, I think typically SEC teams are a little bit tougher than you little prissy Pac-12 ones out there. And you just got done talking about how soft your team was. Maybe you need a Jimmy Dykes-led call more often because Jimmy <laughs> is not going to hold back. He coached, uh, he, so he's been a, he was an announcer for a while. Then he went out and became a head coach for Arkansas's women's basketball team for a little bit. So if, there, if he sounds like a coach on TV, uh, a recent coach, that's why. But I love Jimmy Dykes. That's what you want in an announcer, someone who's kind of just honest and genuine uh, and <laughs> commenting exactly like you would be on your couch, but making it sound like a coach would. Uh, I, I like Dykes too, actually. So I'm kind of <laughs> glad that I didn't listen to that audio uh, so it, that it would it, sully my opinion. He uh, he brought up the cheerleaders a lot. Yeah, he could be a horny guy. Horny? <laughs> a, a lot. I know everything there is to know now about Baylor's cheerleaders. Who's going to the bowl game? Who is at the Big Twelve that championship game? What their names are? Like all, it was a, it got a little weird there for a little bit. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll have to catch his next next broadcast then. And of course, Gonzaga hosts, or excuse me, Arizona hosts Gonzaga this upcoming Saturday in a monster tilt down there in Tucson. Last topic I want to discuss: Travis Steele after beating. Arch rivals Cincinnati takes his kid to the bar. I personally love that move. You gotta, you gotta talk and talk shop with some of the locals. You bring your kid. Uh, you expose him to what this rivalry is all about. You know, Travis Steele just it seems like the, the everyday man at, at Xavier. And again, it seems like what they're doing is continuing this trend of really good coaches. Uh, at Xavier that are going to build programs, Thad Mata to Sean Miller to Chris Mack to now Travis Steele. I love the the taking the kid to the bar move, Shark. Any thoughts on that? Love it too. I think we're kind of developing in Cincinnati over down over there in the Crosstown shootout. Didn't they just used to fight on the floor after the games? Now, now it's just simple. Yeah. Let me just bring this little toddler into a bar. He's going to pay for everyone's drink. So it's nice that we're not having violence anymore and rather just uh, underage uh, drinking exposure, I guess, to – young young children xavier is a phenomenal example of how important it is to find a coach that matches the demographic that supports your fan base because if you look at like you just said the last four or five coaches for xavier they fit that program ideally midwestern ohio tough dudes just like uh not no flash about them and they just get it. It's I, I don't I don't even know if you can quantify exactly, it. 
it's exactly like Butler. Butler's the same thing. Butler well, would, and that's where look that, at their previous coaches. They got freaking Brad Stevens in there, and then they had Chris Holtman, who's the head coach at Ohio State now. And now this guy Laval Laval Jordan is going to do the do it next. Well, and Travis Steele went to Butler. Yeah, so he'll probably yeah. go over there afterwards. Yeah, so yeah, those right. Two he schools, they, they're just factories. You know, they're always competing. They always have great coaches. Yeah, that, yeah. I, so Travis Steele apparently spent a thousand bucks in the bar, which, or well, his son. Technically, his son Winston spent a thousand bucks at the bar, but pretty, pretty damn cool. You know, I would have loved to be at General Ben's after a big Arizona win and Sean Miller come throw down a G uh, on the General Ben's counter on two for one night, double Jack and Cokes for everybody. Yeah, no, I think it'd be cool to see the head coach. I'd kind of be weird seeing a kid next to him, though. I'd be like, let's fucking go, coach. Good win. And then, like, oh, so- sorry. Sorry, yeah. little man. Uh, no, you're, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's not going to remember any of that, you know. So True. how black no do you think he was? No, no harm, no foul. Who the kid or Travis? Kid, <laughs> he's not remembering. <laughs> Must have pit, lot, tipped a few back. A lot of milk, a lot of milk before that. Najee Marshall's nasty for uh, Travis Steele. That goes. Yeah. Well, that's Travis Steele. That's our coach of the year, right there, Taylor. That's true. That's our boy. All right, uh, let's go ahead and get to this interview with Justin and the Providence Cry. But before we do that. A quick message from the guys at the Barnburner Podcast Network. All right, we now welcome back our good friends, Justin Hasgard and Mike Surrett, back to the program. You can listen to Mike's podcast called the Providence Crier Podcast, PCP, hosted on Anchor, and uh, you can listen to it wherever you intake and ingest all of your college basketball podcast needs. But what I'm going to do right now is take a step back and give the floor to one Mr. Justin Haskard. They're both here to discuss the aftermath of the Providence uh, URI game, which took place in the Ryan Center this past Friday. If you remember, we had them both on a couple weeks ago, and there was a lot of mudslinging between the two. And now I'm going to give the the stage to Justin. (laughs) I mean, I really don't have much to say. It, It was a blowout from start to finish, really. There was no point except maybe one brief stint in the second half where it was a two-point game and then they called timeout fast came out blew them out it was almost exactly the way i described it was going to go down minus pc just not showing up at all in the second half i thought it was going to be a little closer down the stretch but they really imploded which was uh pretty much their season in a hole right now and i'm a little concerned about the providence crier because his uh his future telling abilities for this season has been just god-awful from start to finish, the final four, are you kidding me? That was a terrible prediction. There's no chance they even make the tournament, most likely. Uh, starting off 6-0, and nope. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm not even sure they're going to get to six wins this year. They're 5-5 five and five and just trending down. I have no idea what the direction of this Friars team is at this point. They're going to have plenty of opportunities to get good wins down the stretch once they start playing the Big East, but I think the Big East probably just gobbles them up at this point and spits them out. So I'm curious to hear uh, where the Friars are at uh, in their headspace currently. All right. It's so funny how the rivalry doesn't mean anything to Justin when the team is getting their ass kicked year after year. And uh, here we are. He gets one game. Now it's two in the last three years. And he thinks he's like the king of the state. It's crazy. 
I didn't say I was the king of the state. I thought I downplayed that pretty well. I mean, it was a blowout. I I knew that the Rams were going to win this game. The Friars have been trending down ever since the tip-off of the first game of the season for them. And uh, it, it's just been devastating to see because I like when this game is, you know, fired up and people are going at each other's throats. I thought it was going to be a better game than this. But, I mean, it was just a blowout. Clearly, URI is a stronger team, the better team, better coach team. And Ed Cooley, I mean, if he's not on the hot seat, I've been calling for this since the beginning of the year. Ed Cooley's got to go. He is just terrible now. And, uh, I mean, how many more embarrassing losses are you going to suffer at the hands of Ed Cooley before someone calls for his head? I mean, listen, obviously the season's not going the way we drew it up here. But, uh, you know, first of all, to the game itself, let's not just call this a blowout, okay? That is ridiculous. The score was not indicative of the game. The Friars dug themselves a hole early by playing sloppy. The Rams were pretty sloppy too. But the Friars had 13 first-half turnovers, uh, and they dug themselves a hole. But what is the better talented team able to do? Come back. Unfortunately, they make it a game 55-57 with six and a half minutes left in the game, and you score six points. I mean, that's not on the Rams. That's all on the Friars. Like, you can't do that. So you're telling me a team that did not lead since halfway through the first half somehow it was more talented and better, and it was on them for why they lost, not the team that continued to beat them down every time they tried to mount a comeback? Okay, it's, it's all about – none of this is about the Rams at all. It's all – like the, the storyline is the demise of the Friars right now. It's crazy. Uh, and, you know, you know, I'll give credit – you know what? Like, That's uh, only the storyline – because you said that they were going to be a Final Four team. I said with reasonable ex- expectations that the Rams were going to go 3-2 and two against their tough teams in their non-conference schedule. Yes, and we went, right. And we went 2-3. and three. It's I, only you who's hyping up the Friars to be this team that they're absolutely not. I will say I did think that they were going to be a lot better than 500 at the 10-game yeah. mark of this season. But earlier in this episode, we did completely murder the, the, the prophecy. I'm sorry, man. I, I think we killed it. Two weeks ago, I think we just gave it like a double tap today. The, the I mean, prophecy's dead. I, I don't think I've ever been uh, this, like, on, on a state of, like, the season's over this early in the season. Um, I will say there's a lot of hoops to be played. Um, you know, the biggies would be ultra competitive. Friars got, you know, two two more opportunities in the non-conference against Texas at home, against Florida at Barclays. Um, and those are two teams that haven't been doing – that well themselves, but still an opportunity for the Friars to kind of get the season back on track here. But, um, you know, the prophecy, it definitely doesn't look good now, but it's not dead, all right? This is two years in the making for a reason. I just love, I listened to our episode before the season started, and I just love listening to how much talent the Friars have and how they're just going to dominate because they're a Final Four team. Ed Cooley is going to be a Coach of the Year candidate. I can't believe it. And then all of a sudden, boom, they lose the pen. Boom, they lose to Long Beach. Boom, they lose to Northwestern. They're losing to College of Charleston. I can't believe how far this team's fallen, and somehow you're just right by their side still, being like, oh, we still got an opportunity. There's still more basketball. Well, this I mean, season's uh, over for you. You're done. Obviously, it's, 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 it's not looking good. And, you know, a lot of these losses have similar, similar themes every game. It's like they dig themselves a hole, they fight back, and then they don't have enough in the end to close the deal. And it's frustrating. Obviously, the chemistry is in total cahoots. Uh, 
the talent's there. It's just not meshing. Cooley's playing, you know, only playing Nate Watson 16 minutes a game when he was dominating that game. Uh, I mean, he, he was just a beast down low. And then, you know, but because we have guys like Emmett Hole and Khalif Young, those guys need minutes. And it's like, it's crazy. They, they, he's got to shorten the rotation if, if they want to turn this thing around. But. So, Surrett, let me ask you here. I want to unpack Ed Cooley a little bit. Where does he rank in the hierarchy of Big East coaches? Now, before you answer that, there's some good coaches in the Big East. You got Wojo who went to the tournament last year. You got Kevin Willard at Seton Hall. I actually don't think he's that great of a coach, but he's done a pretty solid job with that program. You got the new guy, Travis Steele, just taking his kid to the bar after Xavier over, over Cincinnati. There's some good coaches now in the Big East. Where does Cooley rank among them over these you know, this year, right now? Oh, this year? I mean, it's not even close. He's probably like eight or nine uh, this year. Then take but take generally speaking, then. Generally speaking, I, I would put him right there with Willard on on like that two three line uh, in terms of Big East coaches. But I mean, clearly he's getting out coached. There, there's no question. Um, it seems like the adjustments are never there. Um, the rotation's still met. Like, how are you ten games in the year and rotation's a mess, especially when he got the coach the Pan Am team, which featured like six friars. So it's beyond frustrating and. I mean, at this point, he's getting out coached, like in circles, even by Cox, for example. Um, I thought Cox had a great scouting plan for the Friars in terms of um, they literally just anticipated the pass up in the high key, like the entire game. Uh, they were literally going for the ball every single time, and yet we keep making those lazy uh, entry passes into our flex offense, and they just kept stealing the ball. And so, yeah, sometimes you got to adjust, and there's no adjustment. So. Friartown's definitely frustrated with Cooley right now, for sure. Haskard, let me ask you about Ed Cooley. You've mentioned that you think he should be fired at this point. As a Ram fan, do you kind of feel like you figured out Cooley? Like, do you actually want him to stay, or do you think it'd be more embarrassing and funnier for you if they just ran a PC man out of town or a Providence guy out of town? I mean, it'd be hilarious if they ran him out of town. That's definitely what I'm hoping for. But not. I mean, Ed Cooley, his worst mistake that he's made all year happened in the offseason when he recruited Luan Pipkins. Pipkins has single-handedly brought down the Friars from what they could have been this year. And I am certain of it now because A.J. Reeves, no confidence in his game anymore. Pipkins, they thought he was a ball handler who could distribute the ball. He doesn't distribute anything. He just jacks up threes and misses them, which if anyone listened to the Providence Friar podcast before uh, that game – I literally said that I was going to laugh my ass off every time Pipkins shot the ball. And boy, did I ever laugh my ass off. He went 0 for 5, wasn't even close to scoring, turnovers all over the place. I, I love Juan Pipkins because he let Fats Russell go off for 20-plus points. It was fantastic. I mean, it's unbelievable because did I not say that they should put Duke on Fats Russell and shut it down? And you told me they put him on Dellen, and sure enough, they did. And uh, sure enough, Dowin did nothing, but I'd rather get burnt by him than get burnt by Fats Russell. One thing that did bother me in that game, though, in regards to Fat Russell, you know, he hits a big three, sure. He had a good game. Let's not, you know, say that he, that he didn't. But to be pointing around, I own this arena, I own this state. Like, are you kidding me, bro? Do you he remember does own it. Last year at the time? You shot two of 13. You were terrible. 
Yeah, he had one bad game last year, but guess what? He's two and one against the Friars right now. Yeah, he does and, own and Rhode Island. Like that's the small sliver of success. He's probably the only Ram to go two and one. Small uh, sliver. How can you deny? Out. How can you deny that he doesn't own the state when he's two and one against you? Because I mean, like, win at the dunk. You guys can't win at the dunk. It's never going to happen. So you know, we'll keep splitting games uh, at your right, and we'll keep sweeping the dunk. It's fun. I mean, I don't even know what kind of team you're going to have next year after all these transfers with the disaster you're having this year. And we're probably going to win at the dunk next year by 20 points. Okay. I'm almost certain of it because fast, if he's going off for 24 as a junior and no one can guard him, I can't imagine what he's going to do next year. It's probably going off for 40. We'll just sit Duke on him. Hopefully coach listens to me this time. Surrett, I also heard uh, from, from your roommate, he's also been on your podcast, Brendan O'Rourke, that there was some questionable officiating. Oh, Thoughts yeah. Of, was there? <laughs> I mean, just look at the box score. Look at the free throw discrepancy. What was it? I, I don't know. I believe it was like 27 to 17 or something like that. And, like, come on. Like, the Friars have are way more athletic. And we're taking the ball to the rack. Didn't seem to be getting any calls. And yet they, they were living at the line. It was unbelievable. Definitely okay. a hometown <laughs> whistle. Because, you know, the heathens that are at the Ryan Center, they, they, they intimidate these refs. It's a joke. It's a farce. That's all atmosphere, though. You got to build that atmosphere within the Ryan Center and well, terminate I, the I rest. You get the call. Volume, but I'm, it seemed like it was rocking there, though. I was at a bar watching it. Yeah, what happened? I thought you were going to get tickets and you just didn't show up. Is that because you were a little nervous about what was going to happen during the game? I mean, nobody wanted to go because we suck so much. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. I'm glad I didn't go, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I've got one thing on the free throws. Um, both teams shot under 60% from the free throw line. So it's not like we were ripping it up from the free throw line. Oh, was... I, I even tweeted that. I said, you know, discrepancy is terrible. We wouldn't hit them anyways. But, I mean, come on. At least call a fair game here. I think only David Duke had a good game for you guys overall. He was the only one who impressed me a little bit on your side. You you thought, what? You think someone else played well? No, 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 no. Like, Duke was pretty – it was pretty much Duke. I mean, Diallo played better in the second – but he was so bad in the beginning that – dug the hole to begin with. Watson was pretty good, but I mean, he couldn't hit anything from the free throw line. So every time he got down low, we just kind of hack a shack them. From the line this year. He shot 68% last year. Great. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with him, but another thing that you said on the podcast, I forget if, if it was uh PCP or, or theater in college hoops, but you said that surreal was going to get gobbled up by Holt young and, and Watson. What, what happened there? Yeah. I do want to bring that up because I was very impressed by, Langevin, I've heard this guy's name all the time, and he's done nothing against us. But he was uh, he was massive for you guys for sure. Uh, I think part of that has to do with the shuffling in and out of bigs. And I think you know if we played Watson more, maybe that Tucker's uh, serial out a little bit. I don't know, but he was awesome, no doubt about it. I mean, what was it, eighteen and sixteen or something like that? 14? Seventeen and sixteen. Yeah, he was a beast. So credit to him. I thought I thought he played well, and I thought Cox did a good job coaching, but. That's Russell, get out of here. You own the state, please. Two, two of 13. That's a joke. I mean, he's two and one against him. He just dropped 24 going four, four or five. Okay, three. I mean, how many? How, I went like when we were in college. Did I not go like four and oh against you? So, like, come on. Well, Fats Russell was like a baby then. Why yeah. can't he say he owns the state now that he's at Rhode Island? All right, man. Your argument makes Where no sense go? right now. It does make sense because the guy claims he owns the state and he shot two of 13 against the Friars last year. You guys got killed. All right. So as a sophomore, when he thought he had to be the big man on campus and shot the ball like nuts uh, and missed them all at the dunk, 
that's because so if he wins again next year does he own the the dunk maybe maybe you can have the conversation that he owns the state but i, I doubt it i mean you guys aren't gonna win who owns the state right now for, for the next year yes it's yours kudos I, i'm so glad it means so much to you now it doesn't mean that much to me it means you know what means a lot to me wins in march i think i've been very clear on that this game it's fun. It's fun to beat you. It's fun to see you beaten down a little bit and admit that uh, you were wrong about almost everything you said earlier on the prior podcast. That's fun. Uh, it's fun to watch Fat, Fats Russell drop threes on your head. That is fun. It's fun to see how riled you get by him saying that he owns the state. When he does, right now, he's 2-1 against Providence. Uh, and it's also fun to see Makai Long, our freshman, outduel Gant, who I'm not even sure he played in that game. He hasn't played much. He got like seven minutes. Uh, he got 16 minutes. That's how little of an impact he made. Literally double the amount that you thought, plus a couple minutes. You know, I mean, there's really no arguing. The Friars, they beat themselves once again. What, what can I say? That's really. So right now the Rams are sitting at 6-3. and three. Surrett, you're sitting at 5-5. Five and five. Again, I never really thought I'll, – I'll be honest with you, Haskar. I thought the, the Friars would have a much better record at this juncture than than the Rams. Uh what do what do the Rams need to do to actually make a push, build off of this rivalry win, and potentially make the tournament? Because I think in the preseason, I don't know if many people had them pegged as a tournament team. Uh, six and three right now is not a bad start for Cox's, I think, second year. What do they need to do to continue to build on this and and end up playing in March? Yeah. So on our first episode that we recorded, I said that they had to go three and two against the tough matchups, and the tough matchups were at West Virginia, uh, neutral core LSU at home against Alabama, at home against PC. Um, We're better than Alabama. Come on now. Uh, well, we don't know that. Um, and uh, and then on the road against Maryland. So we went two and three. Um, so hopefully Providence can turn it around. Hopefully Alabama can turn it around a little bit. So those wins look a little more quality on our end. But uh, basically what we have to do is we have to go beat Dayton and VCU is, is the main thing. And that's the only thing we can do right now because Davidson kind of fell on their face to start off this year. Uh, so they probably won't be much of a factor. Of course, once the A-10 season starts, I'm sure Dave, Davidson will turn it up again and be, like, dominant. But, uh, yeah, but just not lose to the teams that are terrible. I mean, we have no bad losses on the schedule right now. Uh, so just kind of keep going and then put on a show in the uh, A-10 tournament, and we should have an at-large bid, uh, at least possibility at that point. Surat, on the flip side, what does PC need to do? in the immediate future, because right now it, it, it looks very bleak and you have two good teams that you have to play against. Florida's kind of struggling a little bit to, to start the season and Texas is an all right team, but what do, what do the Friars need to do in the immediate future to feel good about themselves coming out into 2020? They need, they need to, first of all, they need to change starting lineup. I mean, it has to happen. Um, you know, who's, who's getting pulled? It's got to be Pipkins. I mean, the guy shot one of 22 in the past three games. Uh, you know, the Pipkins experiment is not gone to plan so far. But, I mean, at the same time, Ed Cooley was kind of strapped. We went with Makai Ashton-Langford and uh, Malik White last year. That didn't work. So now you just have Malik White. I mean, I don't blame him going after a guy like Pipkins. So far, it hasn't worked out. But I think at this point, you need to shake up the rotation. You got. I, I think you got to move Duke. On the ball more, uh, he's your most gifted player uh, athletically. You know, in terms of basketball skill and sheer athleticism, he's your best 
overall player. Um, and I think you got to get back to, to what Cooley's bread and butter is, is playing through your lead guard in a big man. And I think they're going to have to get contributions from Diallo and Watson. And Watson's got to play more. That's another thing. I mean, he's limited now. He missed the first few games due to a knee injury. Um, he's got to get better condition to play more minutes. So um, here are two separate questions as well, and I'll ask them in an itemized fashion. One, how many more losses do you realistically see this Friar team suffering? Well, I mean, this year, I, at this point, I think we have to go like like 15 and 6 the rest of the way, which is fucking terrible, and it's probably not going to happen. But the one thing I, I, I do like, though, is that the Friars, they'll get – the Stony, uh, Stony Brook game at home on Saturday, they have a week off. They can regroup, figure this shit out. Uh, and then, you know, you get you get Florida in Brooklyn. You know, Providence will have a good crowd. There's good New York fan base there. Um, so that will be a good game. I, I think they can – I mean, again, talent-wise, they can definitely compete with Florida. And Florida's another team that's struggling. So I, I think that game's kind of a toss-up. And then when you flip it back at home against Texas – uh, PC had really no problems whatsoever with Texas last year at Texas. And I don't think Texas is as good as they were last year. So, um, and I, I think at that point, maybe the dunk will, you'll get that angry dunk crowd. They're going to be pissed. I mean, Saturday will be interesting. We'll see what happens. If they start off slow, they might get booed off the court. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, at this point, the changes need to happen. It's clear because what they got right now is not working. Can you tell me why you think that Florida game is going to be a coin flip again? Because I, I don't think either team has found their footing at all, and Florida can't really shoot it either. Um, and, I mean, I just think we're a team that typically does play well in New York or Barclays or that area. Um, I, I think it'll be – I mean, obviously I can't sit here and say we're going to win. We haven't beaten anyone. but uh, I mean, Blackshear is 100 times better than Surreal, and Surreal ate you guys alive. I mean, but Blackshear's having trouble with – like he's been jacking up threes lately, and that he's been kind of a disaster for them. So he has, and and Florida has been very underwhelming. I could actually see. I mean, you're right that it is probably going to be a home atmosphere. I could see the Friars pulling that off, but at the same time, it's impossible to put any sort of faith into a team that did what they did in in Anaheim against some very inferior competition. Right, Oscar, let me ask you. Sure. Let me ask you this, Scar. How did you celebrate? Oh, I celebrated hard. Uh, I what went we out do? that night. Yeah, so we had a huge contingent of uh, URI fans over here, and we were watching the game. And you know, it's just nice to get that victory. It's uh, it's the midseason win that uh, just kind of keeps us alive. You know, it's getting a little cold outside. You need a little juice going, and uh, that that win definitely gave us some juice. Went out, celebrated, uh, took some shots, and uh, texted all my PC buddies and let them know that they stuck. So they might be stuck. Well, I I, uh, I spent my time uh, first. I went. I hid under the bar, you know, like the bar was, it was like that that like foot. I sat under there for a little bit because I didn't want to be seen. Uh, and then I went home. And then I do what I always do when my teams lose a big game. I hibernate. I just didn't want, didn't talk to anybody probably until uh, Sunday. So yeah. Sret, we asked this earlier on the program as well, and. It's something that I think has gone through Ed Cooley's mind. Do you think there's any small part of him, like deep down in the darkest places that he doesn't talk about, where he's sitting there now at five and five saying to himself, fuck, maybe I should have gone to Ann Arbor this past summer. 
you know, the, it's interesting because, like, was there really an offer? We never know. But, um, hey, I mean, no, I think he should be thankful because if he's doing that at Michigan right now, he's going to run out of time already. So, uh, so I mean, obviously, he part of his decision to come back was he thought he had a really good team. And uh, so far, it's not panning out. But I will say this. Um, I think PC's road to the tournament is the same as the Rams. They both have to win their conference tournaments because – Let's face it, the the A ten is not good enough to get an at large team like URI in. Let's be real, Dayton's really. What good are you talking about? The A ten gets around three ten. The A ten gets about three teams in every season. I just named three, so you guys are on that. Name them again. Name them again. VCU. Yep. Um, uh, Dayton. 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 And uh, Rhode 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 Island's got a good squad so far. Who is that? Richmond. Yeah. Yeah, Richmond has some good wins, but they're probably going to get dominated in A10. I mean, I think I think at large hopes are kind of let's be real, it's the A10. You got you got to win at least like 24 games. Let's be real. The A10 gets about 3 teams in every season. Yeah, but they got you got to win like 24, 25 games. That's not always the case. Look, I can't even tell you the last time if the A10 got only 2 teams in or only 1 team in. We're we're going to get Dayton obviously. VCU is going to be in there, and it's going to come down to this one fringe team that everyone's going to get pissed off that like uh, Florida or whoever gets left out because the A10 gets their third team in. It happens every year. My next prediction, the only way you're in is if you win your tournament. I love that because your predictions have been so awful this year that I approve of that prediction. All right. We'll see. Yeah. Well, I don't know if – I don't know what the outlook is going to be in the A10, but this is is talking A10, Housegard. I know you've been up my ass about not giving enough love and pub to the to the A10. This is your chance right here. I'd, well, we I mean the A10's got like a top fifteen player in the country in Obi Toppin, who's just dominating like every team he plays. And I'm getting no love on Titch because you know the A10's just this uh, little brother of the college basketball conferences. So uh, I'm glad they're getting some shine right now. And Obi Toppin, I think the last mock draft I looked at, he was a top. Uh, he was a lottery pick. Yeah, Toppin's fucking sick. He's unreal. He's a lot of fun to watch. He's like so interesting because he's got he's like built like he's six six eight six ten, which he is. But then he's got like these guard, legs of a guard. It's crazy. Yeah, he's got crazy yeah. handles, crazy hops, and yeah, uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't be happier that his little brother's on our team doing similar stuff. Little brother, not not as good. Wait, but, you have his brother? Yeah, I noticed that during the game. Yeah, Jacob Toppin. He's a freshman for us. He had uh, two blocks in the game and a couple points. Not not as jacked. Not even close. He's still young. A lot of time. So, Surrett, what are you going to be talking about on the podcast this upcoming oh, week? Yeah, another great episode lined up. Uh, it's going to be, um, yeah, I mean, the aftermath of the URI game and where they go from here. Because, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. Because in terms of rotations, you know, is there even a path that realistically can get them to the tournament? I mean, a lot to talk about. It's going to be a pretty uh, – Downer episode, but I uh, encourage any of you to listen to it. Uh, the Problem Scribe podcast can be on Fallon, Spotify, or Apple Pot. So I, I encourage yeah. you to listen to it as well, and I'll let you guys both get out here on on this last question, Justin. I'll ask you first: Who finishes? Actually, how about this? End of February, okay? Leap year too, I believe. So, come the end of end of day, February 29th. Who has a better record between the Rams and the Friars? 
like at the end of the season, like who's going to have a better record? No, by end of February. February. End of February. I mean, it's basically the end of this regular right, season, right. sure, but I mean the Rams. I I don't even know how that's a question. Like PC is going to get dominated by the Big East. They're already getting dominated by non-conference teams that you couldn't even name what city the town's in or city the college is in. Well, I mean, I'll say this. Uh, obviously, the Rams have a huge head start. Um, and, I mean, I, I wish I could play the, in an A-10 conference schedule. That would be great. We can really rack up the wins. But, uh, you know, um, I, I still think – I still I hold out hope here that this team can actually win in the Big East and compete in the Big East. They're really built for the Big East. They got a big man. They got guards. They got to figure it out, but obviously, you know, at this point, I'll, I'll lean Rams too. Because I mean, at this point, five and five, there's not really a. I'm I'm just happy that we got one sensible thing out of Surrett between these three podcasts that we've done on this topic. At least we got one sensible topic that we could all agree on. Surrett, I want to ask you one more quick follow up question, though. So the shark has asked me and Taylor, who are obviously huge Arizona fans, like when do we buy into their hype? When do we get fully on board the train? And I said. Arizona has to be Baylor, and they have to be Gonzaga. They obviously lost to Baylor last week, so now I'm kind of in the exact same spot that I was last week. What what needs to happen for you to be completely broken and be like, it's a wrap? Um, Got to be Stony Brook here, right? We're, we're already in must-win territory at Game 11. <laughs> if they drop this one on Saturday, we might have to you know, put a nail in the coffin. Uh, although I will say, you know, Cooley – Cooley does got that biggest tournament magic, but uh, yeah, I mean that that would be the breaking point for sure. Um, you know, at this point, it's so low. I don't know. Only can go up from here, in my opinion. So, do you think you have a reasonable chance at being over five hundred going into conference play? Being over, so yeah, for sure. I think they go two and one. These next three. So you're thinking they beat Stony Brook in Florida? That or Stony Brook in Texas. Yeah. All right. We'll see. We shall see indeed. Gentlemen, thank you uh, again for hopping on the program. Any last words that you want to sneak in till till next year? Yeah, I just want to say that I am Rhode Island born and I'm Rhode Island bred. And when I die, I'll be Rhode Island dead. So go, go Rhode Island Island. Go, go Rhode Island and Go Rhode Island. You are Nice ride. All, all I'll say is uh, next year, back in the dunk, it's back to business, baby. Whooping that ram ass. It's all gonna- <laughs> thanks, guys. I appreciate it. See ya. All right. We want to thank, again, Justin and Mike Surrett, a.k.a. the Providence Crier, for hopping on. Great interview and always good, good to shed light on the rivalry. Let's get into some segments and round out this show. It's my week now for Where Am I? Where am I? And so my where am I is Connor Tehan. You guys remember Connor Tehan? Yes. Former guard for Kansas. Uh, Connor Tehan was the prototypical white guy that you play against who has like the shaggy, early, famous Bieber haircut. Just you don't think he's good at all, but he was actually a pretty solid contributor for those Jayhawks teams. Connor Tehan now is a wealth management advisor for Merrill Lynch in Kansas City. And so, again, if we remember the rules and the criteria that the Shark had laid out, we want a guy that's a complete corporate slug. And I'm on his bio on his website. And some of these buzzwords are so perfect for Cube Monkey. And I quote, I'm a skill, I'm skilled in weighing multiple factors that impact your wealth, 
your balance sheet, risk tolerance, family dynamics, personal priorities, long-term aspirations, and the changing fiscal conditions in which we live. With that analysis as my foundation, I work with you to chart a path forward that is distinctly your own, helping you deploy your wealth with forethought and care. I mean, if I didn't know any better, this guy's Ruben Pfeffer. This is exactly what Ruben Pfeffer in Along Came Polly would have. So Connor Tehan, where am I? A wealth management advisor for Merrill Lynch in Kansas City. Beautiful. Uh, shout out the interview that you, uh, the chief and I did with John Hamburg, the director of Along Came Polly. And maybe we can reach out to him again and say we found our real world Along Came Polly minus the college basketball experience. Incredible. I, I mean, I, he, he fits the marketplace so well. Uh, and that's really, I think, my favorite part about this. I'll tell you what, if I was a Jayhawks fan in the Kansas City area, he'd, he, I, I want my money in his hands. Based strictly on his profile picture, on his bio, what he's done for the community, what he did for the school, Connor Tien's my boy. He probably runs downtown Kansas. You said Kansas City? Yeah, he's in Kansas. He's City. probably on a god in that power and light district. I've been there once before. A very nice little district. He, you know, big fish, small pond. You know, the, the, the college star. Yeah. If that, if he ever like runs for any political office in Kansas City, I think we got to get him to first order of business fix the airport. God, uh, so yeah. So no, to, no. to add to the Connor Tehan supreme whiteness, I'm at the uh, barbertehanwedding.com and. Uh, their website for their wedding uh him and his wife and the engagement pictures and everything about this just couldn't be more supreme white than this is now i'm looking i'm i'm hoping as i roll down to their wedding party if i can find some former all right uh, take it easy over there (laughs) wait no no this is brady morningstar was a groomsman whoa Oh yeah, look who's entertained now. Okay, I mean, well, that'd, see, that'd, I, be a, that'd be a great. Where am I? Where, where the hell is Brady Morningstar? Right? Well, so here's the thing: I don't know now if I want to put my money in T Hens, uh, in T Hens hands because T Hens hands. That's good. Hey, hey, but, hey! Because I'm pretty sure Brady Morningstar had a DUI. He's a bad example for the kids. Why are you so close with a with a with a I'll man who's been arrested yeah. for a DUI? Uh, you know, every one of his groomsmen look like they could have been that that particular white basketball player for Kansas. And they just have the right names, like Chase Buford, Matt Mormon, Justin Wesley. These are all just perfect KU white basketball, like off-the-bench players. Yeah. So shout-out, Connor Tehan. Thank you for providing us with a Where Am I? Shark, let's kick it off to you. It's hug time. Who are we giving our hug to? Uh, so my hug, sorry. Actually, go back to me one sec. I got to relocate to a different room. Shark's got to relocate. Taylor, give oh, us let a me, Let me sign. So uh, last night, or two nights ago, I should say, was Taylor University's 10th annual Silent Night tradition. Uh, if you don't know anything about Silent Night or Taylor University, I don't blame you because it's a small NAIA school. And uh, their big deal is uh, on the Friday before finals, they, uh, they stay quiet. They all dress up like it's Halloween or, you know, whatever. They go student section to the maximum with costumes and whatnot and pack their little gym. And they're quiet the whole time. And then when the 10th point is scored of the game by Taylor University, they rush the court. And there's no real reason for this. Or I don't, there's, I don't think there's like a charitable, like, 
goal they're trying to hit or anything like that. But it's the 10th year of the Taylor University Silent Night. And I think it is for such a small school, it brings uh, some notoriety to a, a place we would never, ever even think about talking about. So hug to Taylor University. Shark, you all settled? You got, you got us hugged first? I'm settled. Sorry about that. This is a deep hug, all right, because this is kind of a nostalgia hug for me as well. This hug goes out to Seton Hall's Sandro Mamukulashivili. I can't mm. say his name. Uh, the, the white guy that plays power forward with the blue T-shirt underneath the jersey broke his wrist. Um, and the reason I said it's a nostalgia hug, Kevin Willard said he doesn't know how long he's going to be out for, but you got to expect it's going to be at least to the tournament time, at least. Uh, which obviously we all know I'm a big Seton Hall guy. I picked him to the final four this year. This, this changes things a little bit because he, he's significant. It's not easy to replace that. But the reason it's a nostalgia hug is because it happened against Iowa state and Iowa state is a deep, deep resonating uh, wound that I have when George Niang um, got hurt in that 2013 NCAA tournament, jeopardizing the run that I had there. So you know, this hurts. And those two players are kind of similar. They're both, I mean, they both kind of look alike, too. They got, the, they got the shaved head with the beard, straggly beard. They got a similar game. It really, life can be poetic, huh? I was going to say, would you say <laughs> that the the wound has be, been reopened? The, the Niang wound? It's Yeah, you know, it's just like a reminder. You know, I got over the Niang wound, but now I see a guy that plays like him, looks like him on a team that I love, go down like him. It's like, oh, my gosh. It's all right. Hug, yeah. hug, maybe I need this hug. <laughs> yeah. Well, my my hug is also going to be for a player who's injured. Western Kentucky's Charles Bassey out for the rest of the year after suffering a tibial plateau fracture in uh, their win over Arkansas. And so this sucks because he last year he was the freshman of the year and the defensive player of the year in the Conference USA last year. Uh, he he was a five star prospect coming out of high school. But the thing that makes this the most painful is that he had declared for the draft, and I think he was truly one of the very last guys approaching that deadline to come back to college. And so it just stinks whenever a guy who has NBA potential declares and then says, no, I want to continue working on my game, or I want to continue giving back to the school and playing for them, and then they get hurt not earning any any money. And that's a completely different topic for a different day. But Charles Bassey, hug for you. And I also feel a little bit for Western Kentucky themselves as like if I were a a Hilltopper fan because they didn't get to see Mitchell Robinson who was their previous huge recruit when he decommitted and instead decided to train for the NBA on his own so if you were to tell a Hilltopper fan we're going to get you two top five players or or five-star recruits uh, and you're pretty much only going to get one season out of them that's got to it's got to hurt a little bit so hug for Western Kentucky's Charles Bassey you know uh I'm hugging them as well. I'm sorry. I'm going to go back to Connor Tehan for a moment. Group hug. Uh, just to round out the Connor Tehan uh, segment there, to echo Shark's thought, his wedding was in the Power and Light District, so you were spot on with your with your him running the Power and Light District there in Kansas City. Sorry, I had to go back to that. I apologize. No. I, I think it just shows the versatility of, of this group right here. <laughs> not a not a wedding we can't find no matter what i guess so no, not at all thanks again for listening we will see you next time on theater and college hoops enjoy the rest of the games
you from? 